Welcome to the latest edition of Hogtown Hangs, a podcast from the Hogtown Brass Quintet. I'm your host, Jay Austin, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Tristan Ty. Today, we're talking with professional wrestler, Alessandro Del Bruno. Alex Bruno is a Canadian professional wrestler, better known by his ring name, Alessandro Del Bruno, an Italian soccer sensation who has brought his elite talents to the wrestling world. With over 15 years of experience, he has held multiple championships in countless promotions. Ranked in Pro Wrestling Illustrated list of the top 500 wrestlers in the world, Del Bruno is the type of performer that will give you more than your money's worth. I'm very excited to be joined from Milan, Italy, by the godfather of Ontario indie wrestling, the reigning crossbody pro wrestling internet champion, defending NSW heavyweight champion, Alessandro Del Bruno. Welcome to the podcast. Wow, what an intro. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have some fun today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm excited. So I'm going to ask the obvious question first. How does a wrestler end up on a Brass Quintet podcast? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Well, obviously, I mean, what we do is very similar in the performing aspect of things. Um, but uh, I know Jay through um, some other uh, job workings that we've uh, found ourselves in different paths. But yeah, like I said, what we do is very similar um, on the performing aspect, not the physical aspect, I would say. Um, but I think that's how I got here. And uh, I'm pleased to be here. So before Tristan jumps in with our first very on-topic um, mm -hmm. question, I wanted to ask, I mean, in full disclosure, uh, Alex Bruno and I worked at the Hamilton Tiger Cats together, uh, yourself in marketing, and I was working in sales. But how, how yes. like, what, what, was the, what was the road that led you to become a, a wrestler? Like, how, what age did that happen at? And what was sort of the, what made that, you know, a reality in your world? Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up as a kid, I was always in love with it. Um, I had an older brother, so I was obviously getting beat up my, by my older brother was a natural thing. Uh, but he took to professional wrestling and watching it uh, on a weekly basis. So as, you know, brothers do, you do things together. And I started watching that with him. Uh, we would stay up late nights just to catch Monday Night Raw or a, a Nitro just to see our favorite wrestlers. And, I, you know, until around the age of 13 and 14, when I really started to discover what independent wrestling was. Um, then I kind of fell into some wrestling schools around the area. You know, I, you'd go to a local WWE event and, and as you were walking out, there would be people handing out these flyers that said, you know, wrestling schools opened in Toronto. So from there, I knew being a Hamilton boy that there's got to be something in Hamilton. So I did my research on that and I was able to find a school and uh, you know, I tried to convince my parents to go. Uh, they weren't really supportive at that age because they don't want to see their 14 year old son get beat up. Uh, so <laughs> they, uh, they said, you know, once you're old enough to get your first full-time or part-time job, uh, you can pay for the training yourself and do it and support you like that. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. So when I turned, I think it was 15, yeah, it must have been 15 now. Uh, I got my first job on my on my birthday, I think it was, or a week after my birthday, and immediately joined wrestling school um, with the money from my paychecks and nice. uh, just started to do that. So I was doing school, work, and uh, wrestling training all at the early age of 15. 
so, so Jay, my question to you, Jay, is what's your excuse, man? Why aren't you doing wrestling? Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the wrestling scene in Barrie, Ontario, isn't quite as rich as Hamilton or Toronto. And uh, let's just say that the resistance from my family was just as uh, strong. <laughs> and 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 so much so that i i took up the french horn instead of amazing pro wrestling <laughs> uh so alex uh jay and i have been talking about this for a couple of years now um you know when when we first became friends i didn't know much about wrestling at all and yep. I, I you know i kind of saw it how i think a lot of people who aren't familiar with it see it they, they don't think that it's a you know a real sport or athletic or or full entertainment and over the years jay like we've watched a lot of stuff together He's explained, you know, backstories and all that kind of stuff. And I really gained a true appreciation for it. And now and more and more, I see there are a lot of similarities between what you do on the mic and in the ring and uh, to what we do when we're preparing or playing a show. Like we'll take one show on the road, you know, play it for most of a whole season. How comparable is that to working in the ring? Yeah, I think it's, it's somewhat comparable. Um, there are guys, especially, I would say more in the, uh, in the older times, these guys would do what they call loops, similar to what you guys do, where you're going around and doing uh, similar sets around different parts of Ontario, wherever it may be. Um, there are similarities like that, where guys will go on different parts and they'll put on similar matches, almost identical matches uh, in, in different towns. Um, but I think nowadays you will see, you'll see the same guys working together so they can create that chemistry. Um, if they're working like a house show or something like that, they'll work those different towns and then they'll work together to create that chemistry, uh, know what each other does. And then when they come to maybe a live uh, TV or pay-per-view event, they're very similar with each other. They have that chemistry and they put on the best possible match that they can do. So similar to you guys, where you guys are going around, maybe you guys are doing uh, a couple shots, but then at the end of the year, you have the biggest event and you put all your eggs in one basket. You know what you guys are playing and um, and how you can put together the best set for the biggest show. Right, right. And how much uh, how much physical training goes into preparing for like one of those like 15, 20 minute matches? A 15 and 20 minute match. Uh, see, this one for me, I would have to say is uh, – it's probably a two-part uh, answer for this. Um, I mean, I try to stay physically fit and going to the gym and stuff like that. I mean, that's just kind of things that come along with being a professional wrestler. Um, but physically fit in real life and physically fit in the ring are just like two different things completely. Um, you know, we call it ring shape for a reason. Some people can run on a treadmill for an hour and a half straight, but they can't last 10 minutes in a ring. So you really have to be in ring shape. You have to be able to, you know, get in ring work weekly and you have to perform probably every weekend just to create that ring shape. And over the years, I think I've built up quite a ring shape. I think it takes probably two to three years to really create that ring shape to be able to go 15 to 20 minutes. Because part two of that, I would say mentally is the biggest part about going 15 to 20 minutes um a lot of people think it's easy but i could tell you from experience like i've dragged guys through 
20 minutes matches uh, because they're just not mentally prepared for what it takes. You know, physically is one thing you could be all, you could be in that ring shape, but to remember that you have to, you know, have all these little pieces and find details of performing at the top level while basically going through a car crash is, is, is very hard thing to do. (laughs) So, so yeah, easy answer is ring shape and uh, be, be uh, mentally prepared. Takes, you know, three to four years. We're all in that kind of shape. I think, you know, brass quintet players, uh, brass players in general, we're definitely not the beer drinking, lazy ones at the back of the orchestra. We definitely <laughs> get our butts in. No. <laughs> um, so, Alex, before we get into some more kind of wrestling type of questions, I wanted to give our audience a chance to sort of understand on a deeper level what we're talking about. So, I have a couple of wrestling terms. I've labeled this as wrestling terms 101. Okay. Um, if I throw some terms at you, can you give us really brief kind of overviews of what, what these terms are? yeah i'll try my best all right what's what's kayfabe kayfabe is um is kind of the term that we are trying to keep something you know real keep it on the down low we're not really exposing all our secrets to what's really going on what uh, what's a work uh, a work um is when <laughs> We make you believe that it's real, but it's actually not. It's it's a work. And so, on that note, what is a shoot? A shoot is 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 very real. <laughs> um, <laughs> is when um, it could it could mean a like a couple different things or uh, shown in a different uh, a couple different ways. Like uh, someone could shoot on someone, which means they take liberties and and uh, perform moves for real on someone. Uh, and and try to hurt them physically um and yeah so when you see uh someone punch someone in the face and it is really hard that person could turn around and shoot on the other person for real very cool um when someone blows up what does that mean and how do you deal with it in the ring now blows up is kind of what we just talked about um it's um you're physically not able to last in there in the match uh you know you get blown up is a is a term where someone is now exhausted and can't further go on and the way you kind of deal with that is depending on where you're in the match is you just kind of slow the pace of the match and maybe put your opponent in uh what we like to call as a rest hold which is just kind of what you see in the old time where they put each other in a headlock and lay on the mat for a couple seconds to catch their breath (laughs) um (laughs) What's a heel? A heel is the uh, bad guy. Uh, if you're watching a match, you'll know and the heel would... is the bad guy. And then on the flip side, what's a baby face? Yeah, and the flip side would be the, the good guy, the baby face. And is it more fun to work as a heel or a face, in your opinion? Uh, more fun would be heel. Easier, probably face for me because of my size it's very easy to be the underdog very cool and then my last one is what's cheap heat cheap heat is um what i hate the most about professional wrestling (laughs) Um, (laughs) cheap heat is basically guys i'll give an example it's some guy who just gets on the mic and his way of becoming a bad guy or a heel 
is just to say you're stupid, you're ugly, and just basically make fun of people in the cheapest way possible to get people to hate him. So you mean the way that brass players talk to one another is actually yeah, cheap heat? I guess, I guess so. I'm learning new things here, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, the tuba is probably the heel of a brass quintet. I don't know. Ian uh, okay, might have something right. to say about that. But <laughs> hey, I'm learning just as much here. <laughs> so in... In the Hogtown Brass, and I know a lot of other musicians and, and ensembles as well, one of the like main reasons that we love to rehearse in advance of a show is that we get to know each other very well. We get to know each other's tendencies before we're on the stage, you know, getting paid to pay play for a lot of people who have paid money to see us. Yep. Um, it's really, really important that we learn each other's tendencies and, you know, pitch and time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when you're in the ring, you know, I, I understand there's a, a level of implicit trust between you and your opponent to, you know, to sell each other's moves and then conversely to protect one another from injury. Uh, how long does it take to develop that kind of trust with, with one person or a group of people? It, this is a difficult question um, because uh, you a lot of times are thrown into the ring with guys that you've never met before. And you're just meeting on that very day, maybe even a couple hours before. Um, I've been in that situation many times. Um, being on the independent level is different, right? So you have to take that into consideration. When you see the guys on TV, you know these guys. That's their job. And they're all together collectively um, working together, you know, finding, like you said, the tendencies, creating that chemistry. And they can go out there any night, you know, with a couple minutes of talking to each other and perform at the highest level. But for us in the independent level, you have to take into the consideration that we wrestle these guys we've never met. So I think the trust level is that we know that these guys that we're stepping into the ring with are like, have a lot of experience are well-trained. Um, those are the top two things for me. Like I don't want to be in a position where I feel unsafe with someone because if they're untrained or they don't have a lot of experience, I know there's a higher level of getting hurt. Um, so for me, I just think if we're talking in regards to independent wrestling, that's a, it's a hard one to answer, but if it's, if we're talking about, you know, me and a couple of the guys that I usually wrestle with here, um, you know, it could take two to three matches before we create that, that chemistry, we find each other's tendencies and, and, uh, and create real, some, something really special that we can be proud of. You know, that's not unlike when, when, you know, a band will go on tour and they'll play 10, 12, 15 shows, and then they'll come back and go into the recording studio and record what they just took on the road. You, mm -hmm. know, you, get the, you get those reps and you start to trust each other and you get to know what your version of the product looks like or sounds like. And then, and then you go and you, you know, you commit that to tape and, or yeah. digital tape now, I guess. Um, you know, and it's funny, you know, when we go through our training, um, whether we're in school or, you know, early days on, on the freelance circuit or first jobs, you know, we study the great players. We listen to a lot of recordings. And one of the biggest markers is usually when we get to sit beside our teachers and we get to be on stage learning, you know, not by, by reading or listening, but by being right on stage with, with these, these excellent musicians. Um, who are some of your biggest influences, both as teachers or, I mean, with people you've worked with in the ring? Um, Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you biggest influences, um, you know, just by watching, 
Um, but some of my biggest influence as teachers and, you know, friends alike, because I'm, you know, I have some of my best friends who are in the wrestling industry. I am very much influenced by them. And I'm sure the same goes for you guys being all together. You're similarly interested, sorry, influenced by each other. Right. So I think, uh, you know, one of my closest friends, uh, his name is, uh, Scotty O'Shea and he's a wrestler locally here in Ontario. He's been doing it. He's the same age as me, but somehow has been doing it for 17 years. Uh, he started when he was 13 years old. I don't know how they let him into school at that point, but, um, he was, uh, he's an extremely talented wrestler is one of those guys who can just go into the ring with anyone and, and just, uh, make them look incredibly good. Um, and just by doing a few things and, uh, the little things that he focuses on now as a more experienced performer is um, just incredible to watch. And he's just truly becoming one of the best in the, the world to, to me. So I'm always cool. learning from him. Yeah. Very cool. And I mean, to stay here for one more minute. I mean, I think every musician has a, has like a, Whoa, like th- these guys are great moment. The first time you get to be on stage with a professional ensemble, um, you know, and being surrounded by that level, it, it, you instantly become better at your instrument. Um, yep. When you're surrounded by that much, you know, skill uh, or talent, you know, it, I know you've worked with people like Brody Lee, Kevin Owens and Ruby riot. Is this a similar thing? Like do, do your opponents, can your opponents elevate you or can you elevate your opponent in the ring? Oh yeah. 100%. This is, I mean, I think this is one of those things where, um, you know, the most it's one of the most important things because you can work the same guys and do the same things over and over no matter where you are no matter where it's you guys or or me as a professional wrestler but once you started to working with more experience and frankly better people than you um that's when you truly become better at what you do um all these guys that i've wrestled like you mentioned Owens, uh, Ruby and Brody, they it taught me so much in just 10 to 15 minute match that has made me a better performer, a more confident performer. Um, so yeah, I think not only does it do a lot for the performers, it does, it does a lot of, for the promotions, right? Because you bring these people into these um, events and in the world we live in today with social media, it's just, it brings eyes and exposure to everyone, right? So it's always helping everybody involved. Absolutely. Um, and then just to make one more point on this, um, and really to kind of pull back the curtain just a little bit, uh, in the last 30 days or K-fabe, so, uh, kayfabe, man, kayfabe, <laughs> uh, Brody Lee, uh, passed very, very recently. Yes. Um, yes. and I, I, before our interview, I went and I, I looked up your match with Brody on, uh, on YouTube, which is a great match, really great use of 15 minutes of your time, uh, Thank to watch you. it. But I mean, do you have any thoughts specifically on Brody um you know obviously he won't be around to hear them but it, it seems like everyone in the in the industry was touched by this this guy um in a way that made everyone better and and, and more connected with the business um mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts or any stories about Brody Lee you'd like to share um sure I'll, I'll share I get um me meeting Brody uh that day for the first time that we wrestled um he, you know, when you ever, whenever you message a promoter saying you're going to work for a promotion and ahead of time, 
you find out who you're wrestling, especially being a name like Brody. Um, you know, wrestlers always study up on the wrestler or the performer that they are going to be wrestling. So he did do that a little bit on me. And when we met for the first time, you know, he was kind of showed of his excitement. What he didn't need to do because I'm I'm a nobody at that point, right? So he he was just so nice and and uh, he he just got off a tour of Japan. His first son, little Brody, which I'm sure you've heard of now, was just born. He was actually in the crowd that day so he was so excited about that he could have been he could have been anything but not excited for this like he could have been <laughs> tired from his trip for japan he just had a child but he came to hamilton ontario to wrestle me and he was excited about it and clearly so was i um, um i was the story being i i wanted to let him get in all his offense <laughs> more than my own so I came up with ideas for him and he was so excited because no one ever really goes out of their way to put together his own stuff for him so he was he was making a point that he's never ever had someone put in so many ideas to making his offense look so good and I, I took I took pride in that so um, the time we had together was really fun you know he's a huge Leaf fan so we talked about that stuff um and uh, yeah, he's just a great guy. The, the one thing I can say about him, as you probably saw on social media, he's, he's just an incredible guy. He's, he's more of a family man than anything, family before pro wrestling. And that's, and that's huge to me as well to hear that and to know that. Um, but he's one of those guys in wrestling that just never had to take a shortcut. And I think that's why you see so many people that love him because he is not like your typical, you know, politic guy or, you know, taking shortcuts to get somewhere in the business. He just truly wanted to be as good as he could help as many people as he could and just wrestle because he loved it. It was a really touching tribute. I mean, when, when, after he, after he passed, everyone seemed to, there was no bad stories. There was no, nothing that seemed contrived. Everyone seemed to really, really appreciate and love the guy. So um, mm-hmm. it's really fast. I, I didn't realize that you'd, you'd had been in the ring with him. So I, I was, uh, I was fascinated to get to see that, but. Yeah. I'm very thankful for that moment for sure. Uh, pivoting a little bit here. Um you know, yep. something that's always sort of impressed me, I guess, for lack of a better word, about about professional wrestlers is not only their their you know physical capabilities and their ability to withstand you know these these long matches, um, <laughs> is is the control of of storytelling and their mic skills. I mean, like you're you're holding a hot mic, you're surrounded by a, a large audience, you know people rarely stutter or stumble or accidentally swear. Uh, I know like, you know, from our perspective in live performance, particularly with classical musicians, you know, when they get on a mic to introduce a song or a piece, there's stuttering, there's a lot of ahs and ums and and extended sighs, et cetera. Uh, Can you just let our our listeners know, like how how do you guys work on your promos and your mic storytelling away from the ring before you get on on stage, I guess? Yeah, I I mean, um, I'm sure different wrestlers have different ways that they do that. Um, For me, I always thought that the wrestling came first and then the mic skills came after. Um, 
I think I probably should have looking back, I probably should have focused on both at the same time, maybe, but I just really wanted to be good in the ring before I could say um, good on the mic as well, because I didn't want to be good on the mic, been forced into the ring with someone and then fall flat on my, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I didn't, so I didn't want to be in that position. So now I find myself kind of falling behind a little bit, but uh, in the past, I would say five years, I'm definitely focusing more on my mic skills, on my mic work and cutting promos all the time. But I think to answer your question, the preparation is definitely similar to anything. I mean, you know who your opponent is, you prepare in the best way possible. You take qualities from your opponent. Um, you take qualities of yourself and you try to, you try to put it together in the best way possible and tell the best story possible to sell a ticket. So someone will come see you. I like that. It's a really, really great response. I, I think uh, similar situation with music. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people think you're going to a concert to just listen to a bunch of pieces and then leave. And mm -hmm. many artists, particularly in our realm, forget that you're also telling a story, you're relating to an audience. And if you just hammer through the music and go home, people might think, okay, that was great, you know, high quality art. But if you're not telling a story or, or, you know, explaining why you're playing a certain piece of music, it's not as effective. So I think that's definitely applicable in the wrestling world as well. It, it tells, it builds a larger product than just the fight itself. I think that's really interesting. Definitely. Yeah. All right, Alex, we, we talked briefly about this before we started, but, but talking about Mike's skills and cutting promos, um, you've worked as heel, you've worked as a face. I'd like to give you an opportunity to cut either an, a heel or a face promo on the Hogtown Brass. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll cut, a, I'll, I'll cut a promo for you. I don't know how long <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know how long it's going to be, but uh, I'll do it. Um, I'll, I'm going to do it on Jay. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to offend Tristan. I just met him. Okay. So I think, I think he's a great guy. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset him. And with saying that, I'm going to have to cut a heel promo on Jay. Okay. Does that sound good? I'm ready. I'm re let's go. Let's hear it. All right. Let me get in my promo mode here. Hold on one sec. All right. Here we go. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. I have been in this business for over 15 years and I have never been so disrespected. You see, after year after year, I put my body on the line to finally reach a point in my career where I can call myself one of the very best. This championship I put around my waist and on my shoulder symbolizes just that. But now, now I have to defend this championship against Jay Austin. After all these years, I'm challenged by a musician, a man who has never stepped foot inside of a ring. You may be a great musical performer, Jay, but this isn't your world. I don't care how big you are. I've beaten bigger. Do you bring that whole hog town brass crew with you for your support? You're going to need it. Because when you step into the ring with me, you won't hear any of your trumpet, trombone, tuba, or even your own horn. The only sound you will hear is that bell when I pin you. One, two, three. 
And in that very moment, you will realize you have stepped into the ring with a one-man ensemble, the godfather of Ontario indie wrestling, Alessandro Del Bruno. Bravo. Yes. Yes. That's incredible. Is that good? Is that good? <laughs> Love it. That was fun. Uh, that was really great. <laughs> the audience won't be able was... to see it, but I was grinning from ear to ear that whole time. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm sure over the years, you've heard people say, isn't this all fake? Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, I don't want to disrespect you and ask you to break kayfabe, but how do you address that question? Like when someone says that to your face, what's, what's your reaction? I thought, well, we were just having fun guys. Now, now you put me in a different mood. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, You know, I, I, I don't know why, but always, every time people say this to me, I always say like, are movies fake? You, you pay a ticket to see them and suspend your disbelief for two hours straight, don't you? Like, when I hear it now, it's almost just like I, I laugh. Because at the core, people are just calling wrestling face be, fake because like they're ignorant to the fact of what we actually do in there. You know, I understand, and, and a lot of people do, pro wrestling is not fake. It's, it's, it's predetermined. It's, it's scripted, people say. Mm-hmm. But if you believe, you know, like physically what we do is fake, I, I challenge anyone to step into the ring for 20 minutes and not even wrestle the match, just 20 minutes of training. And, and you, I promise the outlook will be much different. You know, the yeah, risks and, and the injuries, they, they're all 100% real. Absolutely. I mean, to me, it's no different than going to the ballet. I mean, it's not like Swan Lake or Romeo and Juliet changed the ending. Uh, with every performance i mean we know how it's going to end it goes the Mm -hmm. same way every time but we still go we still love it we still appreciate it um i yeah i hate when people ask that question i hate when people say that like i've watched wrestling since i was a child with my with my father and and you know it 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 always bugged me because i i could tell that there was a lot more that went into it than even what we see on tv Um, oh yeah and as a kid, you know, I started reading like there was a great run of biographies. There was a Chris Jericho book and a Mick Foley book. And I mean, the, the thing that stuck with me was Jericho wrote that on camera, nobody is ever limping or looking like they're in any kind of physical discomfort until after the match. But backstage, everybody limps. Everybody's got oh, yeah. ice packs and, and heating pads and, and, you know, trainers with them everywhere they go. It's um, I, I was really happy to hear you answer it that way, because I mean, it's. It, it drives me crazy. I think there's a lot that classical music could learn from professional wrestling. Um, like I, I know, and I've heard and I've seen like, there's been studies that show that a single wrestling match with like multiple bumps involved, it could be equivalent to a small car crash. So like, you, you think about how many matches you're having in your career, which has not in like, there's, that some wrestlers are in the thousands you know what i mean so that's a lot you know we aren't trying to hurt each other in there um it's already dangerous so we're not trying to kill each other uh, but we are hitting each other enough that people will believe um we don't do it because we want to hurt each other we do it because we we love it and we have an obligation to entertain the fans 
Well, on, on, on that note, I think, you know, a lot of it is sure, I guess you could say choreographed or planned. Um, but I, you know, I understand there's also a whole bunch of improvisation that goes into every match, you know, not only your, your acting and your theater, but the actual movements, you know, the, the, the moves themselves. Uh, how do you guys, how do you communicate with your opponents while do, you know, doing some ad lib improvising in your match? Yeah, um, that is the term we call um, calling it on the fly. Uh, that is our improvisation term. Um, I think, you know, there's there's a, a lot of improvising that goes on in a match, uh, depending on the situation. Uh, I'm sure similar to you guys, you know, you guys are a little bit more, like we said earlier, you know each other very well, so you know and you are comfortable with improvising on the spot uh, for, for some situations with me, you know, if I'm in there with someone who I know and is more experienced, I have no trouble with calling on the fly more regularly. Um, I'd say maybe 30 to 40% is maybe improvised inside the ring. Um, but then if I'm working with someone who's um, not as comfortable calling on the fly or, you know, is newer talent, then I won't, I'll, I'll make sure to maybe agree to plan some more things with them. So it all depends on who's comfortable in which situation, but a, a lot of similarities there when performing and, and uh, improvising on the spot. So our art is um, calling on the fly. And that's basically, you know, back in the day, a lot of wrestlers had long hair for a reason. So when they're getting up, you can't see their faces. And that's because they're talking to their oh, opponent. That's why. That, ex huh. that yeah. explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it explains a lot. So whenever they're looking down or bending down, that means that, yeah, they're just uh, calling a couple things. But kayfabe, I didn't tell you that. <laughs> Don't worry. It's just between the three of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so on that, like to stay right here for a second, like, there, like how do you manage the two parts of your brain? I mean, there's the part that that knows that you and your opponent have kind of agreed to a couple of spots and, 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 you know, you've planned, maybe planned out the finish, or maybe you're going to call that, but then there's the other part that's reacting in real time to, you know, the fans, the circumstances, things that maybe went better or worse than expected. How do you kind of balance that, you know, in the moment? Yeah. I mean, um, just to go on what you said there for a second, um, the finishes, I always, tend to make sure are planned um, finishes the most important part of the match. So I always make sure that it's always at the best of the ability that we can make it. Um, and it's always properly done unless yes, like you're saying, someone gets hurt and something is, has gone horribly wrong. Then we do need to obviously change it. Um, but um, like you were saying, I think, I think um the most important part is maintaining the story. You know, there's times in the match where, you know, in between a big move and the guy kicks out that you can listen to that crowd and you can hear which way they're going or if they're into it or, you know, if you have to cut it short and you can decide in that very moment if you want to play something small or big. And that's where you're calling on the fly can come into. Um, there is a lot of it, but um, maintaining the story is the, is the most important part because if, if a crowd's going one way, you, uh, 
want to get them on track and make sure that you are you can add something so that you maintain that perfect story and the finish being that perfect outcome i think there's a, a lot of uh, the show must go on in in your world i gotta say you know <laughs> just because you take a, a a tough you know you know get slammed onto the the mats doesn't mean you, you stop the match and go home you have to keep telling your story regardless you got to keep the audience engaged Oh and, yeah, for you sure. Know, I, I think as as athletes and, and definitely as musicians, we all experience some weird situations where you just have to keep on plugging. You know, we've we've played to crickets in a in a bar in Toronto before. We just kept on going. You know, we, yep. we did a we did a gig at Junction Craft Brewing a few years ago um, with like crazy bright lights on. There was a barbecue smoker truck behind us making sausages. The whole brewery was smoked out we kept on playing West side story and we played it damn well. Like, you know, there's, there you, go. you just got to take things in stride and like, you know, trust your skills and trust your preparation and just keep the story going at all costs. I think. And, yeah. And, and at that same point, I think, um, you know, there's, there's situations and I'm sure you guys have, have gone through this too, is where you think you can take stuff out of the match or out of your performance and that might make it better just because you want to get out of the situation. But you know, if you do that, then it overall affects the story. So that is a position I've been in uh, multiple times where either me or my opponent says, let's not do this because the crowd wants it or doesn't want it. But at the end, it could affect everything. Right. Right. And how, how do you train yourself to know, when to dial something up or to call an audible for safety, like in the moment? Um, for me, the biggest thing is um, like health and safety. Like, uh, you know, I don't want a guy who's um, to go back on our term blown up, who can't get up and physically do a, a move safely to me to do something and then me get hurt. Um, so I would never put myself in that situation. So, there is times, yes, like I said, you you know, you got to cut something out because they, me or them cannot perform something safely. And then um, unfortunately it takes away from the story, but uh, you know, we all get to go home safely. So <laughs> Alex, is that, is that a case of, um, of taking a move out of, out of a sequence or is it maybe a matter or is it equally a matter of maybe putting a rest hold in to get, like if, if it's a matter of, you know, setting up the go home or something, is it, it, like what wh- how do you make that that determination in, in that like hot second that you have um yeah for 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 most experience is it's taking a move out or a sequence of moves out um gotcha. uh, yeah it's uh because if you were talking about going back to like a rest hold that's something that usually happens within the middle of a match yeah. uh when like a, a heel is beating up on a baby face right so that, that wouldn't make sense in the body of the story if you put a rest hold on the last minute of the match. Do you know what I mean? I do. So when, when we're, yeah, so when we're turning it up at the end, going into our finish, we don't want a rest hold because now we're just taking the fans and out of the match entirely. Yeah, you uh, lose so the what, momentum as you yeah, head towards the finish. So yeah. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make much sense. So it would definitely be taking out... Uh, a move or a sequence of moves um, if, if we needed to do so. Very cool. Now you uh, mentioning health and safety. I mean, it's been a really tough year 
for all performers, right? I, I, and I don't think wrestling is, is uh, immune to what's going on. How have you kind of kept yourself in shape and, and, and in specifically in ring shape uh, in preparing for the, you know, the eventuality of, of live events coming back? Um, I've been actually able, one of my best friends owns a gym. So I've actually been able to go in there and we, you know, sanitize just, just me alone and, um, the odd time someone I trust. Um, but yeah, we're all safe and stuff like that. We go into the gym, we sanitize everything. We, we usually maybe once or twice a month, uh, twice, not a month, sorry, a week go in there and just kind of keep active in the ring. Um, I was able to do a couple shows actually, which are good before the, the second lockdown came around. Uh, we did uh, shows for online only. Uh, where there was no fans, but if you bought a ticket online, then you could still watch the event. So that was real, a lot of fun. So I was able over the quarantine to have uh, six matches, which is quite a bit um, for for these uh, for this situation that we're in right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been luck- I lucked out with that, but I think mainly for me at this point in my career, um, I'm confident in the ring going long periods of time. Uh, I think for me, it's just, you know, like we were talking about earlier, getting better at the other things like Mike skills. Uh, I watch a ton of wrestling every day and it's actually pretty sad how much I watch a day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for me, it's always brushing up on my, on my skills with um, now I'm watching for storytelling more than ever and how yeah. I can improve my work. I'm watching old matches on myself to see what I can do better where and just new stuff of uh, things coming out. What's it like when you lose that, that instant feedback from a crowd? Like when you were working to the internet only shows, I mean, how, how do you, how do you, when you can't hear their, their reactions, I mean, how do you, how do you know how to tell a story? You know what? It's funny because I found it. I, <laughs> it's just difficult because I, I understand what you're saying and the fact that, you know, you need that crowd to help them or help yourself know that you're telling the right story. But for me, I'm finding it very um, rewarding to tell a story with no crowd. Um, I, I find myself excelling right now at telling a story with nobody watching. And I know I'm doing it a good job of it because I'm hearing feedback after the matches um, mm-hmm. from my peers and from the fans alike. So I find myself making this almost a challenge for myself to get better at those things I really want to get better at. So uh, I'm enjoying it. Honestly, I'm, I obviously want fans back. Everybody yeah. does, yeah. but um, it's, you know, you got to make the, the best of everything. I've heard from a lot of musicians that have been putting on, you know, like my wife, she sings at her, at her church. And, and she's been singing every, it's like once a month, but just to a camera and to an, a big, massive, empty congregation. And, and I mean, it's, it sounds like it's a huge challenge because you just, you're, we're so used to looking people in the face and connecting with them while we perform. And, and so, I mean, uh, I'll just echo. I mean, I can't wait for audiences. I can't wait for performances yeah, to come back. For know? sure. For sure. <laughs> All right. So now we've got some uh, some quick fire questions for Alessandro Del Bruno. You ready? <laughs> okay. 
Go and ahead. I'm sure Jay will have to explain most of these to me after we've gotten our answers, but I'm okay. going to read the questions for you. <laughs> Who is your favorite current wrestler on TV? My favorite current wrestler on TV? Um, or is this WWE or anywhere? Anywhere. Okay. Uh, Alex Shelley, he's on TNA. All right. Or, or Impact. Name three underrated wrestlers that no one has heard of. That no one has heard of. <laughs> yeah, maybe on maybe on this podcast. So I'll just say uh, <laughs> probably say the Undertaker on this podcast. <laughs> Go for it. Um, um, yeah, so I'll say um, three guys in Ontario. Um, Actor Scotty O'Shea is one of the best in Ontario. Um, Pretty Ricky is really funny. You guys would get a kick out of his character. Um, and who this one's tough three. Um, Brent Banks, he's another talent in uh, Ontario. That's incredible. All right. Now, who has the best gimmick of all time? Wow, that's a big question, Jay. Jeez. That, yeah, that's huge. Best, best. gimmick. <laughs> best gimmick. Um, the Undertaker is the greatest gimmick. I would agree with you. All right, yeah. all right. Uh, this is a big one for Jake, and I know because I watch his Spotify listens because we share, we can see each other's accounts. <laughs> oh, this is amazing! Who has the best theme music? Oh gosh, <laughs> uh, I I can't wait to know Jay's, but I I think as a kid and growing up, it's been so. It's it's been Steve Austin. It, there's no better than that. When that glass breaks. Yeah, man. There's really no going back after that. Right now, I'm going to say the Undisputed Era has my favorite theme music. Um, yeah, but it draw it drove me crazy when I went to see Summer or not SummerSlam NXT Toronto a couple years ago, when all four of them were in matches and that you heard the same music four times. That they got to fix that. But otherwise, <laughs> Adam Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era. Uh, all right, next up, who is your favorite talker in the business? Um. Yeah, I think it goes without saying again, probably an obvious answer, but it's definitely The Rock. He's the, the best talker ever. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be a millionaire right now. That's right. Yeah. What a guy. All right. And lastly, shout out, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. before Tristan, to, I'll shout out to Kevin Owens on that one too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's good. All right. Lastly, we've got what was the best match of your career? Oh, man. That's that's the toughest one. It's not like I haven't had a million matches or anything, but I, there's a lot of matches that I really um, I'm really happy with. Um, I think my favorite match, now that I go back and watch everything, um, is probably me and Scotty O'Shea, which I talked about, who has been my tag partner as well for a long period of time, uh, against um, Ethan Page and Josh Alexander, two guys that are on the scene now who are blowing up, but they're, it was back years ago. I forget how many years ago, but just a tag match that um, one of the guys was supposed to be retiring and didn't end up retiring after all, but it was an incredible event, sold out venue and everything was just on point. The performance was like as perfect as it could have been. That's great. Um, well, Alex, where can people find you online? Where can our, our fans uh, follow you? 
Um, you can follow me at the Hogtown Brass. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, um, Del at Del Bruno Seven on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on either of those. Instagram is more more um, just everyday use, family stuff, stuff like that. But Twitter is mainly where I put all the wrestling, all the dates, um, things like that. Um, you can purchase some of my merchandise at prowrestlingtees.com slash Del Bruno if you want to grab a shirt. But most of all, um, support indie wrestling. I mean, if you've never been to a live show like Tristan, I mean, I think you got to change that. And you, you really need to witness independent wrestling live. You see it on TV is one thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with TV wrestling. It's incredible. But seeing that live and being there live is just like going to watch you guys do what you do. It's incredible. It's a different feeling. It's a different atmosphere. And uh, I promise you, you come, you'll get your money's worth by me, and you'll have the time of your life. Looking forward to it. I know Jay will definitely be dragging me out to some stuff once COVID is uh, is behind us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. But I'll get you guys. I'll get you guys some ta- contacts when everything goes back up, and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. Yes. I'd love that. I'd really uh, love that. Let's let's do some brass quintet covers of some uh, some theme music. <laughs> you you guys can even play me to the ring. You never know. Yes, <laughs> I'm it. We're in. Hey, I'll say yes for the rest of the wrestle, guys too. Wrestle WrestleMania entrances for me. Love it. Love it. No. Love it. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. This was a really uh, a bit of a harebrained idea that I had a bunch of months ago, and I reached out, and I'm really glad that we were able to make it make it happen. I think we. I think we did an okay job of explaining why we have a wrestler on a brass quintet podcast. <laughs> I hope so too. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Hogtown Hangs with Jay and Tristan. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to know more, please check out hogtownbrass.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Cheers. Cheers.